Today, we're reading from Mark 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve that, that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are, tw- these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew. Philip. Bartholomew. Matthew. Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot. I have no idea who betrayed him. It was while eating a favorite meal of ours that my kids taught me one of the most fundamental lessons about discipleship. Anyone guess what my kids' favorite meal is? My kids can't guess. What did you say? Macaroni and cheese is definitely one of them. It's not the one I'm thinking of. Not pizza. Surprisingly, not their favorite. Not lasagna. Getting a lot closer, though. It's noodles and red sauce. What most call spaghetti, we refer to it as noodles and red sauce. And it's just plain spaghetti and then the cold jarred sauce is what they want uh, on it. And uh, as we were eating it one day, I noticed watching my son Deacon just shoveling food into his mouth, barely even chewing it. And I said to him, Deacon, what are you? Gotta slow down, buddy. Or at least that's what I wanted to say. Instead, what came out was, because in fact, my mouth was also full. And Lydia gives this look to me like, he gets it from you. You're the one shoveling the food in your mouth all the time. This is the most fundamental lesson I've learned about discipleship, that we are already making disciples in everything that we do. That we already have people observing us all of the time. And our, we have an impact on the people in our lives. Discipleship is helping to form people into a specific way. Disciples of Jesus are being formed into the ways of Jesus. We are all making disciples. We all already have folks looking to us in our lives, shaping them in particular ways through our words and actions, whether we realize it or not. The question isn't whether or not we will make disciples. The question is what kind of disciples we will make. So in what we call the Great Commission, Jesus gives the church its its foremost mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything is... I do something wrong every week. It's on. Ah, there we go. Every time. Uh, Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That involves knowing the things that he's commanded, actually walking them out in some way so that you have some knowledge of how to obey them, and then being able to communicate that to other people as well. I wonder how aware and intentional we all are about who and how we are discipling. Does it look like this? Well, uh, we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark this week uh, in chapter 3. Jesus has just started his ministry. He's been preaching across all of Galilee, healing many, casting out demons, uh, gaining a following. In our passage today, we see him show what it's like to be intentional about discipleship. So there's three truths about how Jesus is uh, disciple, how Jesus disciples us and how we can disciple others that I want to share with us today. Okay. The first, uh, 
first is that discipleship involves a choice to invest. The list of names that we have here is uh, the lists are always important in Scripture. By chapter 3, uh, Mark has in- introduced us to a handful of the disciples already, but the, here he reports to us now Jesus' first selection of his closest followers that we know later as the Twelve. He offers very little description of these guys here because his original audience would have known them fairly well in the early church. But Jesus had handpicked a special few to be with him in a way that no others were during his life and ministry on earth. That may seem a bit unfair that he does that, right? That he, uh, there's only 12 who really get to see him in that way, and three among those 12 who are of an inner circle even that really get special access to Jesus. But he shows us here in choosing the 12 that discipleship really does involve intentionally choosing and investing who you're going to spend your time with. There's an intentional choice to happen. There's practical reasons that Jesus uh, chooses this core group. Um, There's simply no way that Jesus could have had a significant personal relationship with every one of his followers while he was on earth. He limited himself in the incarnation to the same relational constraints that we have. We can't have a deep relationship with every person that we know and every person that we could know on the earth. At some point, you have to make a choice, right? Um, he would have had to choose a select few to invest in. And even within that number, he does uh, that, like that inner circle as well. Said, but why 12? Why 12 people to be here? The answer to that uh, may be obvious enough in that the, the 12 apostles stand then as a symbol uh, to replace the, the 12 tribes of Israel to represent them. This number is so significant that uh, the disciples would later view it as necessary to replace uh, Judas, who, who, who betrayed. So in the beginning of Acts, they say, well, we got to have 12, right? <laughs> so they, they do what they, they need to do to replace them, have another. But why these 12? Why these 12? All that the text really tells us here are that there's an interesting uh, line there at the beginning. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those whom he wanted. All we know is that for whatever reason, these are the ones Jesus wanted. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we also hear Jesus say things like, he doesn't do anything without hearing from the Father first. Presumably what the Father told him on this occasion was, make a choice. And he chooses those whom he desired to choose. We don't really know any more than that. But it's a pretty interesting group. Let's take a look at it real quick. I'm, uh, I'm going to kind of breeze through these a little bit. There is a, uh, um, another resource I wanted to share with you all, the Search for the Twelve Apostles. This is a great uh, book that just details what we know from Scripture, some things in church history, some traditions, stuff that we know about each of the uh, apostles and where they ended up. A fun book. If you want to check it out at the service, feel free to borrow it. Um, but let's talk about them a little bit. We have Simon, a.k.a. Peter, a fisherman. John 1 tells us that Peter and his brother Andrew were disciples uh, of John the Baptist first, at least Andrew was. Uh, And Peter was, without a doubt, the most famous of the original 12. He's bullheaded, passionate, often the first to step out in faith, also the first to mess up royally. He's the only one who attempted to join Jesus walking on the water, one of the few present at the Transfiguration, and also remembered for claiming that he would follow Jesus unto death, and then decidedly not doing that doing the opposite of that, instead of denying him three times. James is another fisherman 
along with his brother John. James was included in uh, Jesus' tight inner circle. He and his brother earned the nickname the Sons of Thunder because of their zealous and sometimes rash behavior. Uh, one of my favorite stories of them occurs when Jesus and the disciples rejected, uh, or they were rejected a Samaritan village, and James asked Jesus whether or not they should call down fire from heaven in order to destroy the Samaritans. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, why would you even suggest that? John, like Peter, uh, John is uh, one of the more famous, of, uh, he's the more famous out of him and his brother, the only one of the inner circles who have authored a gospel account, the Gospel of John, which is substantially different in tone uh, and style than Matthew, Luke, and Mark. He's often rem- remembered as the disciple of love. On the cross, Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary, the disciple John, uh, to an unnamed disciple, but probably John, who took her home uh, into his home. Andrew is another fisherman. He was initially a follower of John the Baptist, as I said, and was actually the first of Jesus' disciples. Since then, he seems to have lived in the shadow of Peter, his more famous brother, but he was a great gatherer. Uh, He introduced Peter to Jesus. Later, he brought some Greeks to see Jesus. Uh, He was uh, was the one who who spoke up at the feeding of the 5,000 to point out, hey, there's this boy who has uh, some fish and loaves. He might be of some service, and so he brings him to Jesus. He's great at gathering people in. Another another great gatherer that we have is Philip. Along with Andrew and Peter, Philip was from Bethsaida and Galilee, known to often take things literally. He was the first to to point out when things weren't logical at the feeding of the 5,000. He was the one to point out that they obviously didn't have enough food uh, to go around for this whole crowd. He's also uh, an early disciple and a great gatherer. He recruited um, uh, other people like Bartholomew, also known as Samuel. Bartholomew, we don't have a ton of information about, other than he was initially skeptical about Jesus being from Nazareth. He was a fervent Israelite, loyal to his people, which would make it more interesting for him to be in the group with the next guy, Matthew slash Levi, tax collector. We read about him last week. He probably would have been the most wealthy of all of the the 12, uh, but he left all of that behind. His skills of attention to detail may have prepared him to write his own account of the gospel story, uh, specifically tailored to an Israelite audience. Then we have Thomas. Thomas was commonly referred to by many as Doubting Thomas. At least he is now. Nothing is really told to us about his life before being called a disciple, nor even how he came to be a part of the group. There are really only two gospel stories which he's uh, featured in prominently. When he uh, convinces the other disciples they ought to return to Judea after Lazarus died, despite the potential danger. And second, when he needs convincing that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. He never really gets over this one. That's why we call him uh, Doubting Thomas. He is followed by three disciples uh, who are generally obscure to us. There's very little reference to them. We have James, son of Alphaeus. Um, he uh, is probably the least known about this guy, other than the fact that he's one of the twelve. He's not the other James. <laughs> That's what we know. He was potentially uh, the brother of Matthew because they're both mentioned as sons of Alphaeus. There's Thaddeus, who's also called uh, Judas or Jude in different places. Many scholars agree these names listed elsewhere probably refer to the same person. Hear almost nothing about him. Simon the Zealot. We don't know much about him, other than the fact that he was among the zealots. Uh, 
uh, people who were violent revolutionaries, um, would have been considered a nationalist extremist with fiery religious convictions. Um, while it may have been unfortunate, though, to have been uh, have very little notoriety, at least they weren't the last guy, right? Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. The surname Iscariot. Uh, it simply means that he was from the village known as Kirioth. Understandably, always listed last. <laughs> he had a bad reputation. Uh, always given the same designation, the one who betrayed Jesus. All the disciples abandoned Jesus in the last hour. Judas who handed up over. Now, we don't know much about uh, Judas's life before being called as a disciple. We do know that Jesus was fully aware of Judas's heart from the beginning. The Gospels tell us that, that he would later betray him. And yet, Jesus chose him anyway. He was among the twelve whom Jesus wanted. Discipleship means making a choice and who you will invest your time with. Jesus chose these guys. Fishermen, brothers, former disciples of John the Baptist, Roman tax collectors, anti-imperial revolutionaries, and sketchy Judas. But Jesus saw something in them. He handpicked them from the crowd to follow him. It is helpful to make this distinction maybe as well, that uh, this special calling was not handpicked to uh, be saved, but for it to serve in a specific task or role. We shouldn't take away any talk about Jesus' uh, special selection, that somehow some were marked out for salvation, while some are instead marked out for, uh, for damnation or destruction. But because the Bible is clear that God desires for all to be saved. For God so loved the world, all. And all of salvation history has been a story of God's initiative in our response. God has displayed time and time again that we are loved, that we are wanted, we are valued, that we are called to repentance and salvation. Part of the good news is that our God loves us, wants us, chooses us, even when we have rejected God. God respects our choice, and yet his initiative is always there. But there's another layer to the good news, that Jesus invites us into the work of salvation, and that we have been uniquely called and equipped and empowered to do specific roles at times. So what Jesus is doing here is hand-selecting a group for a specific purpose. I wonder how that would have made you feel if you were one of the twelve at that time, to be called for this specific role. Better yet, how does that make us feel today? After all, we have been chosen and called by God. The Holy Spirit uniquely empowers and equips us even now for, for mission. What does that mean for us, to us? Do we see what God sees in us? Do we see what God sees in those around us? And as I said earlier, we are discipling others whether we realize it or not. And much of that influence just comes from who we invest our time with. So we will be an example, whether intentionally or unintentionally, those people. We might as well make it intentional, right? Jesus made it intentional. But what should guide our choice of who we spend our time with and how we do it? Maybe it would help us to first see what Jesus wanted of these twelve 
Jesus appoints them for two things. The first point is fairly simple, that, that discipleship involves living with Jesus. Live with Jesus. That first part is that he says he appointed them that they might be with them. Might be with them. Jesus wanted to spend time with them, to form relationship, to let them see how he lived, to experience life together with him. And it was that relationship that was key to their transformation in ministry. That even their enemies would later pick up on as well, actually. In, in Acts uh, 4.13, it says this, when they, being the, the enemies of, of the first Christians, the people who, who wanted to stamp out the gospel, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary fishermen, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Something about being with had changed them profoundly. I think there's two important lessons to pick up from that. One, we also ought to seek to be with Jesus. We also have to to spend time with him. And two, that being with Jesus means pursuing the same kinds of relationships that he pursued. To be with others in some intentional way. So spending time with Jesus doesn't just mean cultivating a rich devotional life, spending time in prayer and Bible study. Those are important. But if that's all the discipleship took, just reading our Bibles, then Jesus would have spent all of his time on earth writing so that we could just have all of the instructions for everything we'd ever need to do. But instead, Jesus spent the majority of his time on earth investing in those few so that they could invest in others. One takeaway we can see from that is that God's chosen medium to communicate to us is not the written word, us. People, incarnation, embodying it, flesh. Discipleship is about life on life investment. Discovering Jesus in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit as we live life with each other. Seeing God at work in each other's lives, being mutually encouraged and challenged by each other's witness. That's why gathering is so important. That's why it's important for things like this, for us to gather, for worship, to be in, uh, in small groups and our life groups together, for shared hobbies with other believers, for to share life like everyday chores, just going to the grocery store together, uh, to have family dinners on the porch calling. I, I learned how important it was, especially through the pandemic, as all of our relational things started to break down. Just to call up the people in our lives, see how things are going, to have those ordinary conversations throughout the day, and not feel like the conversation needed to have a purpose either, but just to talk, to have those ordinary day-to-day conversations. It's the everyday stuff of life shared with others that shapes us. What we learn along the way sometimes is even more important than the intentional thing. So the first thing that he asked was that they might be with him so they could learn the equipped for the second part. That's to be available to preach, to have authority, to cast out demons. Doing what Jesus does. From the very beginning of his ministry up to this point, Jesus has spent all of his time healing, uh, driving out demons, occasionally arguing with some Pharisees. And now he's delegating some of that work to the disciples. He expects them to preach and to cast out demons just like he does. And that is what they do. 
badly, <laughs> I might uh, add, at least for a while. They did the being with him part good enough for a while, but even that they botched up in the end. Every single one of them abandoned Jesus. Judas betrayed him. And they didn't necessarily do the preaching and casting out demons part all that well either. They had some success, and Jesus celebrated those with them, but they also had plenty of significant failure. And they often misunderstand Jesus' teaching, which would have made it fairly difficult for them to teach and to preach like he did. There are several occasions where Jesus gets a bit exasperated because of their lack of understanding that prevents them uh, from casting out demons. I say all that so you might wish that we had better examples. But for me, it makes me a little more confident following their footsteps. We know that God has this habit of uh, choosing and calling broken, everyday people into his salvation work. We have these examples in faith to show us that it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall. Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just expects us to be with him and to learn and grow along the way. That saying is cliche, but cliche because it's true that God doesn't call the equipped, the equipped to call. And it works for the disciples. While many of these disciples had little going for them prior to Christ's call, um, and they weren't that impressive during their time of, his time of ministry, they left a huge impact on the world in subsequent ministry. They ended up living as he did. Almost all of them died as he did. Not for the forgiveness of our sins, but as a witness to the profound love of God that doesn't fear the grave. With the exception of John, who lives to a ripe old age, and of Judas, uh, every one of the apostles went on to bear powerful witness, even unto death. So they were transformed from lowly fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots into powerful ministers of the gospel. And it's all because they answered the call to be with Jesus, to learn from him, to uh, learn by doing, do it with him. So for the twelve, it meant living as he did. And for Jesus, discipleship meant teaching them how to do what he did, modeling it day by day, equipping them to do it, debriefing their success and failures with them. So similarly for us, discipleship means helping others to live like Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's simple. That we try our best to continue learning as we follow and invite others to follow in the same. good news is, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. We can do this. Not because of our special talent, not because we are somehow less broken than the rest of the world, but because God loves you and has made a plan for you, a way for you, and for me, for even those that we see the least potential in. So, my call for us today is that we might continue to have our eyes open to the world about us. To see as God sees, what does he see in us and in the people who are around us? To ask, Lord, how are you directing us to invest in those whom we spend time Who should we be spending time What potential do you see in them? How can we call them to, uh, to you? Gather them to you. To be mutually transformed to learn together. So we can celebrate and respond. We can celebrate that Jesus called those he wanted and Jesus 
but we can also be aware what is Christ doing in the midst of those every day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you you have eyes that are more attentive to the world than ours that get so easily distracted, get so easily um, narrowly focused and unable to be aware of what's going on. See the needs in our neighbors, family members, see the potential, see the hope. We pray, Lord, that as we follow you, that we might be transformed. That we might look a little more like you every day. That as others see that, they might see the hope and the joy that comes from knowing you, the treasure. That they might follow you and think. Amen. Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review or share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyrow.org give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.